Okay, welcome to another episode of the United Pubcast and a very special podcast because obviously I have Larry joining me as usual, but you need no introduction. You have all read the title and we are joined by the class of the class of 92 member, Ben Thornley. How are you, mate? I'm very well, guys. Thank you. Nice to be on. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, who would have thought, Larry, after um, when we started this podcast back in the times when we were allowed into pubs, I'm obviously not allowed in pubs at the moment, but when we started this um, podcast over a pub over a pub meal and a couple of beers, we would have had some of the guests we've had on in recent weeks and recent times, and now I've got our second former player on the podcast. Yeah, look, it's an absolute pleasure to have someone of the ilk of Ben, obviously, joining us, and I'd say it's our highest profile uh, guest we've had so far. So um, You need some more then. <laughs> best. Well, I think we've had a few. We've had um, obviously Alan Keegan in a, um, the obviously stadium announcer. We've had Mark Bosnich and a lot of sort of Australian football journalists at the time. But it is always special to have someone with that sort of United connection um, makes that a little bit more special. For this us. So meeting just, is being recorded. Just before we start, we've got um, sort of what's coming up in the episode. We'll obviously touch on Ben's time at United and the challenges that he's faced, but also get his opinion on the way sort of young players breaking into first-team football and the ch different challenges they face. Because if you look at United's team now, we obviously have a lot of young players coming through, so it'll be interesting to get his take on it. And obviously we'll finish on a little bit, I, I don't know so much of a preview of the Europa League, I'm not, I'm not sure how much there is to preview, but just sort of get Ben and Larry's take on how they think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should approach um, the upcoming, what do you call it, little mini-tournament. There's a few games coming up. So, um, yeah, just pass on to Larry now. Yeah, so Ben, I guess you are well known for being a part of the class of 92. So I'd love to kind of pick your mind and expertise around youth players. Um, so I guess I want to start with, you know, we often hear of not just needing the physical talent to be successful at Manchester United, but also having a strong mental ca capability to deal with, you know, the pressure of playing for such a big club. I just want to know, when you were coming through the ranks, um, was there that sort of, do you feel that pressure of playing for a big club or are you more focused on, you know, your development and just working towards getting to the first team? I think that um, being under a, a manager, like, manager like Sir Alex Ferguson, you, you are always aware that, you you know, you're playing under a, under a, a pressure banner. There's no question about it. I mean, Manchester United brings with it in itself with the, with the, the club's history and, and how successful they've been. Um, having a manager like Sir Alex Ferguson sort of rubber stamps that, and you know that you need to perform to your, you know, to your highest capabilities in order to 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 do the do the club proud and do the club justice. Um, and that was something that he, you know, instilled in any player that came through the door at Manchester United. And you're talking about young players. Um, we were we were sort of in and around the club for, you know, for a while before we actually joined. Obviously, we were there as schoolboys. Uh, but you do see and have seen over the years players that have come in, players with, with, with you know, huge names, people like Juan Sebastian Baron, superb footballers, but just couldn't settle at Manchester United. Angel Di Maria was another one. We know what a tremendous talent he is, played in World Cups and, and played for huge clubs, still is playing for a huge club. And again, he had a minor misdemeanor at, at, at Manchester United, whereby his his house was broken into. And after that, mentally, you just couldn't settle. And you need that mental 
capacity, you need that mental strength to be able to survive at a club like Manchester United. It's okay, as you very rightly mentioned, to have the physical stature, but having the mental capacity as well is, is absolutely huge because of the pressure that's on you, not just every game, but every single day. Because at Manchester United, you are constantly in the spotlight, whether you're playing a game or whether you're not. You know that you'll, you'll have seen photographs you know, year in, year out of Man United players being on holiday and paparazzi following them to wherever they're going. And that is the type of thing that you need to get your head round, that that is what being a Manchester United player is all about. And if you don't have that mental strength to be able to deal with that, then you will very, very quickly be passed over. And as I said, you know, huge players that have come into the club have just not been able to, to deal with that. And, um, and it, it's just not worked out for them, whereas it will have done elsewhere. And, and being a, a Manchester United player is very, very special. But coming with that and, and, and having that, is, that mental strength is, um, is, a, is a huge part of being able to survive for a, for a long time. We just spoke then about sort of every single day, and I just want to cast your mind back to a very special day, a very famous day in the club's history, and obviously your career, obviously the FA Youth Cup final in 1992. Just wondering, just the build-up to that, and just the feeling you had as a young player coming through in terms of, did you feel especially like walking out in terms of, I don't know what your average crowd would have been in a reserve team game, but you're walking out to a sort of very, quite a big crowd at Old Trafford. Was that sort of you realised it was something special or was just something that... Just so that it was you took in your stride. Um, I mean, it was always special. Um, I think that as the um, as that year that we won the youth cup rolled on from round to round to round, we could always see whether we were playing at Old Trafford or we were, whether we were playing a team away from home that there was there was vested interest in in the the class of ninety two side that that now everybody is still talking about and that people were starting to talk about you know, sort of, what, 28 years ago. I mean, it is quite incredible. But I think that once you actually get out onto the football pitch, whether there's either, you know, whether there's 10 or 15 people there or that you can hear very, very clearly, or whether there's, you know, sort of 40, 50, 60,000, whatever it may be, you very, very quickly have to have to block that out of your mind. You need to focus on the game. You can't let the crowd be um, an added influence because... It's great while they're behind you, but as Manchester United players and any player that you speak to will tell you, um, they're always wanting Man United to fail, and especially when you when you're going to an away ground. So yes, it was it was very special to see those crowds building towards the final of that um, that that FA Youth Cup. Um, but it, it's something that you need to you need to, and it helped us actually because you know some of the crowds that these lads that I played with went on and played in front of. Mm-hmm. At a very early age of, of sort of, you know, 15, 16, 17, they were playing in front of thousands and thousands of people, which not anybody who plays football ever gets a chance to do. And we had um, we had a, a head start, if you like. And, and myself and, and Ryan Giggs and Nicky Butt, we'd all represented our countries at under 15 level where we did have, you know, full crowd, full crowds at Wembley. And we went over to Germany and had, um, you know, a, a huge crowd at the Olympic Stadium in Munich and in Berlin. So it was a it was a little bit of a taster to to what you know being a professional footballer was was going to be like at Manchester United and and the, the the people on the terraces that you needed to deal with. So yes, it is special, but it's something that you can't let overtake what your job in hand is. We just mentioned in, in regards to certain names like Mickey Butt and Ryan Giggs, and we obviously all know the story that what they went on to go on and win, etc. And, and I've heard you speak on previous podcasts and interviews 
talking about obviously this is the trophy one you didn't go on to go and win those trophies that the other players did however do you look back now and maybe not so much at the time but you look back now and okay it's not a senior trophy it's a youth cup final but it's almost one of the most important trophies in the club's history. It's still spoken about. I remember Nicky Butt did an interview and says he holds that FA Youth Cup up there with the Champions League trophy he won. Is that a feeling you had at the time? Or you sort of look back in hindsight and realise how sort of special it actually was? Yeah, I, I, I think you, you'll always think that. And and you're absolutely right with um, Nicky and, and David and, and Gary Neville. You know, They will all always hold that that first trophy that they won at Manchester United as a as a really really special one. Um, I'm not so sure whether I, if if I ever did win had have won the Champions League, it still would have been you know on par with that. But it certainly set the ball rolling. I think it certainly made people realise that um, uh, uh, people that were connected with Manchester United that at at long last, Sir Alex Ferguson, when he first came in in 1986 and wanted to implement how how the, the, the academy system worked and that he really did want to be the best and he and he did want to produce players that got into the first team. Um, then, you know, sort of, what, five, six years after, he, after he'd taken the reins, we, we were the first Manchester United youth team to win it since the, the days of the Busby Babe. So... It was um, it was very very important from that aspect as well because as much as Manchester United were 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 at the top of the tree for things that they'd won in the history they hadn't won the league at that time for a long time obviously the following year in the inauguration of the Premier League they went on and dominated for the best part of 15 20 years uh, but prior to that it was all Liverpool and and we hadn't had um, a, a, a team that was that was constantly winning things. So to produce a, a team with such you know wonderful players and great lads as well, um, that was that was an achievement of Sir Alex Ferguson's. Obviously, his his main aim was the first team, but to be able to to produce these players that have for the, won the Youth Cup for the first time in you know twenty nearly thirty years um, was a was a real milestone for him. And of course, those you know a lot of those players that played in in that final with me went on and 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 helped him to. To uh, and Manchester United to win numerous trophies and titles for for years and years and years. So yeah, I, I, we always hold the, the the FA Youth Cup in 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 high regard. Uh, it was the first thing that we won, and uh, and it was a, a real privilege to be part of of a team with such great players. Yeah, well, thanks for the insight, and I guess it is great to hear that there is still that emphasis on the FA Youth Cup. I know, like as United fans, it's something. We follow, and we saw it with the 2011 side, and it's something that people always talk about with Ravel Morrison, Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard, etc. I guess touching on youth players and kind of bringing it into how football has—it's so money dominated or so monetary dominated. Um, I want to ask you: Is there an issue with young players becoming millionaires before they've made the first team? Nowadays, because you're seeing the ridiculous amounts that get thrown at players before they're making the first team, you're almost paying for potential rather than the product that they are at that point in time. And do you think maybe, of course, we don't have the solution, but do you think there needs to be some sort of cap or ruling on how much or what the salary should be on young players before a certain age or before they make the first team just to for their own development? Because I, I yeah. personally, yeah, just seeing the amount of players who fall off based on becoming millionaires too early. Yeah, I, th I think um, I think rather than a cap, I think a certain amount of common sense 
I know for I know for a fact that that when when Sir Alex Ferguson was in charge and, and when our youth team coach Eric Harrison was was our our youth team manager who we all learned such a lot from, um, it would have been you know the 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 rise of of players and the money that they earn needs to be relative to how much they've done in the game um, and and maybe what they've won rather than the potential that people see in them and therefore you know the the money comes too soon. I, I completely agree that, that uh, I mean, it is the sign of the times and, and the nature of the beast, if you like. There is so much money in in the fo- in football, certainly in, in the English game anyway. Um, I mean, you're not just talking millions anymore. You're talking billions every single season that are poured into, into, into football in this country. Um, but I still would say that clubs should use, you know, should have their reservations about giving young players too much too soon. There is absolutely no problem whatsoever with them earning a, a handsome salary for their age. But I think that, you know, players have, who have not yet reached the 20s that are earning, you know, sort of upwards of four or five million pounds a year, um, is it, does it give them any incentive to be able to or to want to, to kick on from that? I think that is what Sir Alex Ferguson was so good at is that even though he held the players that I played with and, and other players as well, obviously, that he already had at the club that were still quite young in such high regard and that he knew that were going to be, you know, world superstars if they kept their feet on the ground. One way of him being able to do that was making sure that they weren't coming into the training ground in, you know, £100,000 cars and, and you know, just being flash. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. It certainly wasn't Eric Harrison. He made reference, you know, on numerous occasions when when we were, you know, when we were training and, and these cars would be roaring into the... It, it was only... It was done in jest, but you could sense that there was a certain amount of, uh, of of seriousness in there as well, that, you know, he didn't want us to be like that and neither did Sir Alex. And and I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know if a cap would ever work. I know that in the, in the lower leagues, because of this terrible pandemic that we've had in... Um, they've had to go down that route in Leagues 1 and League 2 that there will be a, a, a wage cap. Um, I can't see that happening in the Premier League, but certainly when it comes to young players, managers should be, you know, should should be, be, be use the discretion, if you like, as to how much they give these young players to make sure that they're still hungry and that they still, you know, want to aspire to, to earning the sort of money that you can earning the game when you get to the top level. But that should only happen when you get to the top level. And they should also realise the players that they've got a lot of hard work to get through before they can reach that. And giving it them too much too soon is is like, yeah, I, I, it, it, it's sort of, I'm not saying it's shooting yourself in the foot, but it's, it's asking for a player to be completely focused on, on doing his job and having distractions of having too much money can can very often be a deterrent for that and and that's what that's what you know we don't want in the english game we want young players to still be hungry and and if they show the same potential four or five years down the line then the money will come to them no problem they don't have to worry about it no I fully agree that's a very good insight and i just want to quickly move on to um, obviously a sore subject, but your knee injury, but it's such an important um, topic and you've spoken so honestly about it, which is quite refreshing. A lot of people will try and hide away from sort of huge negatives in their career, but it's something you've embraced and you've told the story. And I've actually got the book here. Um, doesn't work well for podcast, um, 
audio listeners, um, but I've actually got the book here that um, Ben kindly sent out to the supporters club here in Sydney a few years ago. But um, I just want to mention, you mentioned there and also in previous podcasts, I remember listening to the, Man, the official Man United podcast, that after you did your injury, that you still maintained the type of play you were, obviously a quick winger, you still maintained that, that type of pace, but you said you lost a little bit of sharpness. And I just want to get your take on it, because I did my ACL, obviously not to the extent um, of your injury, but I did my ACL about seven years ago. And I came back after about nine or ten months and I kind of had the same sort of feeling where it was just a, it wasn't so much pace or anything. It was just that off the mark in terms of I always felt tight, sort of a little bit, lacked a little bit of flexibility. And just what your sort of feelings of, of that in terms of you think you felt you maintained your pace, but lost that little bit of sharpness. Yeah, I think that's, um, that, that is something that was very, very noticeable when I, um, when I returned back after injuries and, and having done one yourself, you, you understand all the, you know, all the, the pain and the heartache and the hard work that you need to get through to, you know, to get back to to doing what you, you know, what you what you love doing and and what you were you were hoping to do for, you know, for the best part of twenty years from when you were sixteen years of age, um, but it was, it was so, it was so apparent to me, and I think that maybe, I mean, everybody has, for instance, if you if you were to if you were to hop or if you were to, if you were to do um, a long jump, for example, you would always have a favoured leg that you would, that you would take off from, you know, you wouldn't take off with two feet. If you went up to, if you ever played football or you played Aussie rules or whatever it is you guys play, if you ever went up to head a ball or to catch a ball, there would be always one foot that you would take off from. Mm. And mine was always my right. Um, I was an ambidextrous footballer. I could play you know, with two feet, absolutely not a problem. But you always have one favoured foot that you that you would would use, uh, and the fact that it was my right leg, I think that was what maybe took the sharpness away because it was always my right leg that I pushed off from to try and get that um, that sort of explosive start. And I think that with the with the slight weakness that I obviously now have in my in my right leg and had obviously had at the time, um, that that was just where that half a yard of my game. And when you are talking playing football at the highest levels, then that half yard could mean a huge amount. Uh, and that was the that that was what what happened to me. I mean, I. I it, I don't whether it had slowed me down when I was in full flight. I'm not sure, but it was certainly that explosiveness to be able to get away from a defender or to to shift the ball quickly that um, that I, I I no longer had. And and as far as I as, as hard as I worked and and as much as I tried, I with the with the damage that was done to my knee, I was never gonna never gonna get that back. And and like I said, that that little half yard, that that just tiny little degree. Can 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 matter so much when you're trying to compete at the highest level. How much do you think, in terms of you obviously feeling that physical difference, but also the mental side of things? How much do you think looking back might have been something just in the back of your mind, a hesitancy, or was it definitely a physical res- sort of restriction you had? Oh, well, first and foremost, it was physical. There's no question yeah. about it. But then, in dealing with the physical and realizing that you you're just not quite that same player. And at the time thinking, you know, will not just will I ever be the same player, but will I actually get back to a level where I can still compete at a, at a decent level? With that comes the mental side of it, because 
you wouldn't be human if you if you didn't sort of if you didn't take a step back and think you know what what am I going to not what am I going to do now but but how much has this affected me you know you're on the verge of of perhaps playing in a in an FA Cup semi-final you're on the verge of maybe the following season being part day in day out of of Sir Alex Ferguson's squad and who knows maybe even you know playing 20 or 30 games in the first team you you know you I, I was that close to to perhaps being that player that all the other lads that I played with you know then became um and you know when you're only a young lad of 18 years of age that's you know that's quite a a, a difficult pill to swallow and I think that if I, if it hadn't been for Sir Alex and and the coaching staff my friends at, at United my friends outside obviously my my family then that probably would have gone on for a, a, a lot longer. And, and I, I was still only 18. I still had, you know, a, a, a hopefully a long career in front of me and I couldn't spend time dwelling on, you know, what might have been and what could have been. It was, it, it was the, the positive frame of mind that I needed to, um, to actually get back to playing professional football, which I duly did with the help of, with the hard work of myself. I'm not going to deny that, but also with the help of the, the physio Dave Fever, who was at Man United at the time, who devoted a lot of time to, to, to my rehabilitation and, and all the aforementioned people that had a, a major part to play in my in my mental strength to be able to, to, to keep me going along that 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 sort of very dark path that that is rehabilitation from a from a, a, a terrible knee injury. Well speaking of other terrible injuries, just want to sort of Fast forward now to obviously a current player who we've spoken a lot about on this podcast and Luke Shaw. Obviously, he had a very sort of horrific injury as well a few seasons ago. Just your opinion on someone who's obviously gone through it as well. Because he's come in for some criticism um, in recent years. Yeah. I mean, you have to take into consideration the injury. Just your thoughts on his development post the leg break? Yeah, I mean, when I, I was actually commentating on the game when, when Luke broke his leg over in Holland um, and I, I actually thought at the time that we had a player there that was probably going to be in that position for as long as, say, Gary Neville was when he got into the team at a similar age and, and, and staked his place there for 10, 12 years. I thought Luke Shaw was the same both at, at, at team level and at country level. He was, he was a, a superb wing-back. And obviously the injury happened and he had a lot of time out of the game it, it, you know, like myself, most probably the the mental side of it would have would have affected him in in some way, shape, or form. And then slowly but surely, he he worked extremely hard. He got himself back into the team. Then along came Jose Mourinho and and sort of publicly humiliated him, if you like. Um, and things like that take a, a lot of mental strength to be able to 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 take the criticism and actually turn it into something positive, which is what Luke Shaw's done. Um, since since um, Mourinho's departure, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has, has come in. He's had to deal with the emergence of Brandon Williams as well, who came into the team, you know, early part of this season, and and at times probably kept him out on merit rather than a, a you know a decision for for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to rest him. Um, but then, up until the injury that he had, uh, what two or three games ago, I think it was. Luke Shaw had played every single game of Man United's unbeaten run, and he was an integral part of that. He was he was certainly 
getting back to the Luke Shaw that was that was a, a, a defender that wasn't beaten easily and that could play in a numerous in numerous different positions. We saw him fill in as a as a third centre half where I thought he played exceptionally well. He can play as a left back, he can play as a left wing back. And I think the the wing back, um, even though that might not be a system that Man United adopt, he is certainly somebody that has got that capabilities of being uh, those capabilities of being able to run beyond the last defender and and get to the byline and put crosses in. And we saw a lot of evidence of that since the the restart in June of of Luke Shaw being one of the most outstanding performers, um, along with um, Anthony Martial and um, and Bruno Fernandez. I think the three of them together. I thought they, you know, they were they were exceptionally good, and it's a real shame that that Luke Shaw is probably now not gonna not gonna make the um, the you know the the final, hopefully three games of the of the Europa League. But I think what he's what happened to him, what he's done subsequently, he should be absolutely commended because he's not just had the physical problems to deal with; he's had the the mental problems to deal with as well, and he's come through those. As far as I'm concerned. And as far as I can see, and I see every game with flying colours. Uh, spot on, agree with you. I guess it was just really interesting. The reason we really wanted to ask you that is because obviously you've <clears throat> gone through a serious injury. So it's good to sort of see your insight on how a player can go through that, but have that mental strength to come back. And I guess on the sort of going back to young players and the way you played the game, you were saying that you, you were quite two-footed yourself. Is there a current player uh, in modern football that you would say has a comparable style to yourself? I know the the wingers have obviously changed a lot. but and again, Yes. Yeah. We we don't really see them anymore, do we? It's um, they're, they're a dying breed, unfortunately. And, and yeah, I think that if you asked any fan, uh, I know that, again, you know, football has evolved and we're, we're getting all these you know, weird and wonderful systems that that people adopt. Um, I think of Chris Wilder with his uh, with his Sheffield United defenders, centre defenders that are you know bombing forward to to join in with attacks. Uh, and when we grew up, we, we we were we were a team right the way through from junior level when we joined at sixteen to first team level who played four four two. And whenever you came up, everybody else did as well. Don't get me wrong, but that was the the system that we adopted and that we were used to. Two wingers, two midfielders, two centre forwards, two full backs, and two centre halves. It was as simple as that. And uh, and there's, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with the way that football has evolved and that we're able to play different systems. And I think the European style has as as you know sort of highlighted that with with only playing one up front and we're playing you know a, a holding midfield player. And I think that's gradually worked its way fully into the into the English game. But when you're looking at um, at somebody that um, that I can compare myself to, I, I, I sort of I struggle a little bit. I I played um, I played under Terry Yorath. Um, now Terry Yorath was a was a played starred for Leeds in the in the seventies. He was a Welsh international, and he ended up being my manager at, at Huddersfield Town when I left Manchester United. And he actually said that um, that when he watched me play, um, because I wasn't like lightning quick off the mark, which again highlights what I was just speaking about earlier with with my knee. Um, I did have the body movement of a guy called John Robertson, who played for Nottingham Forest in the um, in the two European Cup finals that they won um, in 1979 and 1980. And he he's I, that's always stuck with me 
So whenever I've ever had the opportunity to watch John Robertson and, and those two finals were a, a perfect example, I was actually quite happy. In the modern day game, um, I can't think of anybody, but when you're talking about players with two feet, then look no further than, than Mason Greenwood. I mean, this lad is, has burst onto the scene. He scored 17 goals already this season. Um, he didn't really feature much in the first half of the season. So what he's done in the second half, especially with this lockdown, has been absolutely brilliant. He looks like he's filled out a little bit as well. Um, but the, the, the ability that he's got in front of goal with either foot, I've seen him in the junior teams take free kicks and penalties with his left foot, with his right foot. And that is an absolute nightmare for any defender and any goalkeeper because he is capable of whipping him in into the near post and curling him into the far post and he can do it with either foot. So when you're talking about players that have got two feet, then he is the, he is the epitome of, uh, of somebody that you would want in your ranks because when the ball falls to him in an, in an area where it's a, it could be a goal, it won't matter to him whether it's right or left foot. He doesn't have to shift it onto his favoured foot. He can let go with either, excuse me, and with very, very little back lift as well. And what yeah. a player he will be for the future. Absolutely. And touching on Mason, I guess it's something that every United fan can talk about forever. So I kind of want to delve a little bit deeper. Um, is there a player that we could compare Mason to? Um in, in whether it's someone you've played with or someone we've seen um, in the past. And how far do you think he can go in the game? Because his first season, like, I really hate piping up youth players, and I'm sure you're the same, but when you consider he's now equaled Brian Kidd, George Best, Wayne Rooney, all three players to score in European finals for Manchester United, he's in good company. He is in you know, highly esteemed company, yeah. Um uh, and this lad is, I've watched him for, I would say, two, maybe even three years coming through the, the, the junior ranks. And whichever team he plays for, he just doesn't, it just doesn't phase him. He treats playing in the Youth Cup, um, which he can still do, by the way. Uh, I don't know if you are aware, but the FA Youth Cup was at the semi-final stage this season before the lockdown happened. And Mason, if they do decide to finish it, is still eligible to play in that. But he approaches every game. He's exactly the same. He is a firm believer in his own ability. He always thinks when he goes out onto the football field with whatever team he's playing in that he's going to score goals. And as long as he keeps his feet on the ground and as long as he keeps listening and he keeps learning, this lad will only get better because he has the confidence... He's got a certain amount of arrogance as well, which you do need as long as you don't let it spill over. Um, and he is certainly, without any question, got the ability. And he can go as far in the game as his attitude allows him to do that. And if he keeps himself, um, obviously, if he keeps himself fit, but if he keeps himself where he's always willing to learn, he's always willing to listen, and he's always willing to take advice from, from people, somebody like Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, you asked me about somebody who, who uh, you can compare him to. Well, obviously, they are different types of players, but they were both goal scorers. And Oli Gunnar could do with his right foot what he could do with his left and with his head. Mason is exactly the same. So he is, he's also got a manager that knows what it's like to be able to score goals and, and you know what better person to, to continue to, to teach him and, and help him learn than him. 
Do you think Mason, we've seen him predominantly played off the right this season, though he does drift centrally. Do you think he stays in that sort of role or do you very much see him turning into a centre forward? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one that um, that we we discuss on a regular basis when, in our in our group chat because the you know the front three players um, have scored sixty one goals between them already this season, and when you've got three players that um, that are, are scoring goals like that, getting into you know sort of the early early to mid twenties, and you've always got a chance of winning something. And as much as I feel as though he would still do a job, a really, really good job playing down the centre. They are so fluid, the front three, that they can, either of them, or any of them can play in any of those forward three positions. Now, the other thing that obviously you would have to consider is what happens if and when, most probably, they do recruit and they do bring in another forward. There's been huge talk about Jaden Sancho coming in, who predominantly plays on that sort of right side. Now, that can only be good for the team because we need strength in depth anyway. Um, if Anthony Martial isn't performing, for example, then there's absolutely no problem with Mason Greenwood moving into the middle or Marcus Rashford coming into the middle and Mason going on the other side to allow Jaden Sanjo to come in. It also creates competition for, for places which you need at a club like Manchester United at the highest level. So there are so many different permutations as to, as to where Mason could be and where he could start. But as we've seen from from the recent, what, sort of 10, 12 games, those three lads have been absolutely on fire. Marcus hasn't scored the goals that Anthony and, and Mason have, but he's on the back of a, of a, you know, a long injury layoff as well. And when he starts firing on all cylinders, then who knows where it can go. But I, I think that at the moment, the, the dynamic of the team with Anthony playing down the middle Marcus and, and Mason coming in off the flanks has, has really, really worked and it's shown by where we finished this season in the league. But that will change and it can change, but it won't be it won't be uh, it won't be foreign to any of them. Well you just mentioned then a little bit earlier, sort of a little bit of a comparison to when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used to play. I'm just wondering if you can cast your mind back. I'm not sure what your situation was at the time, whether you were out on loan or you're back at the club. But obviously, when Solskjaer arrived in 1996, were you at the club then in regards to, did you have any memories or first impressions? Because obviously now, everyone has sort of a first impression. Could you imagine 20 years later, him being the Manchester United manager? Well, he, um, the, the thing that initially hit you about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the fact that he just looked so young. And even now, when you see him on camera, yeah, obviously, he, you know, it's, it, it's, what, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, or pushing 25 years ago, but he still has that that sort of um, that youthful look about him, um, and that was the thing. I mean, he, he came through the door and he looked about 14 years old, but I remember seeing him in numerous training sessions, and you just think to yourself, "Wow, this lad knows where the net is," and it doesn't matter whether it's his right foot, his left foot, his head. He was sharp in the area, and you have to remember as well that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer in terms of the goals that he scored, didn't start that many games. So to do what he did, I remember being in the, on the bench for a game when he, he played, he came on as a sub against Nottingham Forest away from home and he scored four in about 17 minutes. I mean, this lad was, was a, a sensational goal scorer and I firmly believe that if, um, if Sir Alex 
didn't have the options of your Dwight Yorks and your Andy Coles and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was his first choice striker at all times, I I think he would have been right up there with the with the top goal scorers in the Premier League. I'm not saying that he would have caught Shearer because uh, what Shearer did was 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 phenomenal, but I certainly think that he would be up towards the the 200 goal marker at Old Trafford. He was he was that good a striker, but very very humble with it. You know, a lovely guy to talk to. Came in with with Ronnie Johnson and with Jordi Cruyff. I seem to remember as well. And um, and they all had an impact, and and of course Ronnie and uh, and and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer played in the in the in the cup final. Ronnie started, and Oli came on as sub, and and obviously the rest is history, as they say. But um, a great guy. Um, whether you could see him being Manchester United manager or not, he is, and what a fantastic job he is in the middle of doing. It isn't done yet by any stretch. But coming in, as we spoke about at the top of the show, you know, having that mental strength to deal with being a Man United player, um, you, I don't think any of us can imagine what it must be like to be the manager with some of the decisions that he would have to make on a on a daily basis. But whatever decisions he's made recently, they've been the right ones. And United have, have finished in, in the best position that they could have finished in this season, I feel. And also, we are still in the hunt for a trophy. I think he, him and his players deserve a, a massive congratulations for the season that they've had so far. Well, just on his management at the time, and Larry and I and everyone on this podcast absolutely adore Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and the job that he's doing. But just you mentioned in terms of the, when we're talking about the Luke Shaw injury and the way Mourinho somewhat was, didn't deal with him in the public domain the way a, sort of a Manchester United manager really should. Do you think that's been the, the sort of the, the biggest culture change at United? Solskjaer has really sort of the trust that he's placed in youth. Because if you look under Mourinho, he sort of Marcus Rashford did play a lot. Scott McTominay did get his foot in the door, but it never felt like there was a real trust there. But Solskjaer, regardless of the results, regardless of what's happening on and off the pitch, there's a real sort of sense of pride in playing those youth players. Do you, do you see that yeah. as a real difference? And, and, yeah, and and to be and to be fair, that did actually start pre Jose Mourinho with with Louis Van Gaal. Yeah. I think Louis Van Gaal, to his credit. Um, he did introduce some of the. I mean, some of the players that he introduced onto the pitch back in sort of 2015-16. Um, you know, quite a few of them have actually gone on elsewhere. But he wasn't afraid to, you know, to pitch youngsters in as well. Um, but Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has, has, has highlighted that um, with with Mason, with Brandon, there are other players as well that we will probably see on on Wednesday night. The likes of Ted and Mengi, Ethan Laird, um, Dylan Levitt. Um, James Garner, you know, United have got players that be very, very soon knocking on the door of of, of Oli Gunnar's first team. Um, they performed really, really well up until the lockdown. And like I said, they're in the semi-final of the Youth Cup. Some of the players have already appeared this season and, and have played in, in in numerous games, either from the start or coming on as substitutes. And, and he is not afraid to, to to make changes. And as a Manchester United manager, you have to make, as I've just mentioned, very, very difficult decisions. You know, we've seen it over the weekend with, with Frank Lampard and, and his, you know, £71 million goalkeeper, Kepa, mm-hmm. uh, has been ousted by Willy Caballero, who is, you know, nearly older than me. And uh, and these are the things that, that <laughs> managers have to do. And, and if, you know, it, it, the, the players have to respond to that 
Um, there's going to be disappointments. You can only have 11 starters on the field. But if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sees that there's a player that deserves his place, like Mason has and like Brandon has this season, then if the person already occupying that spot isn't performing, he will change things. And as a Man United player, you have to do that. There is no room for sentiment, whatever that may be. It is who is playing and who is performing. And that is that is the, the key issue with, with him. Now, on this podcast, we don't like to do too much transfer news because it seems to dominate every other channel, every other podcast. But um, it would be stupid not to discuss the recent news. And it does look, obviously, somewhat inevitable that there is something regarding the Jaden Sancho rumours. And it looks very likely that he potentially come to Old Trafford this season. Just your thoughts on that front four in terms of Greenwood, Rashford, Martial, and you potentially add Sancho to it. It was a different thing, I think, back in 1999 when we had the two strikers on the pitch and then the two strikers on the bench. You had a front four there. But now with a front three, in terms of... You mentioned the fluid, sort of how fluid they all make it, but in terms of there's so many fighting for that one position up front, I'm just wondering how you think that front four works next season, assuming Jamie Sancho comes in. And do you think it's almost a case of Solskjaer quite solid defensively? I, I personally, I think we can improve a little bit defensively. But do you think the arrival of Sancho is more Solskjaer just looking at going, we're just going to score our way to win games? I think so. I think that was what he was used to. Um, you know, Manchester United, in the time that he was there, scored, you know, bundles and bundles of goals. They were fit as well. I think that's something that we've definitely touched on um, over here. Um, is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, when he took over, decided that these players were not fit enough, but that has certainly been turned on its head. They look like a team like we used to see back in the day that used to keep going and keep going like a war of attrition, and eventually they would just grind teams down and they would, um, they would, they would win so many games in the, in the final minutes of games when, when teams were just so tired. Of, of chasing them and, and with the power and the pace that they had. And that is what he wants to get back to. And the introduction of somebody like Jaden Sancho, who decided from a very early age that, you know, he was good enough to play in the first team, even at Manchester City. And he wasn't going to get that opportunity when he wanted it. So he went and he went to Borussia Dortmund, who are a, are a top team, who compete in European competition season in, season out, more often than not the Champions League. Um, he's uh, he's played for his country. He has done a lot in a very, very short space of time. And not only that, but he has performed. You know, he's gone there. He's, his assists have been right up there. And the goals that he scored have been up there as well. And I think that when you're bringing players into Manchester United, they always have to be players that will improve you. And there's no two ways about it that Jaden Sancho, at the top of his game, is going to improve Manchester United. Uh, I don't know where they're up to with the negotiations of, of the deal. I know that Borussia Dortmund are holding out for X amount of pounds and Man United only want to pay the other X amount of pounds. But I think that Dortmund have realised that Sancho hasn't yet come out and said, I don't want to go anywhere. I, I'm, I'm happy where I am. Um, and Manchester United are playing on that because they know full well that I think, given the chance, he would leave Dortmund and that gives them a little bit of negotiation tactics to be able to say, listen, he hasn't come out and said he wants to stay at Borussia Dortmund. It looks like he does want to join Manchester United. Here's the deal that we're prepared to offer. You know, let's have a let's let's have a, a happy camp all round. And I think with the introduction of him, like I said earlier, it will bring it will it will bring competition for places. But, uh, all three of Mason Greenwood, of, in fact, 
let's include the, the front five, Pogba, Fernandez, Greenwood, Martial, Rashford, they all realise now that one of their places could be under threat from Jadon Sancho. You know, United are not going to pay with all the, all the respect to, to those guys that I've just mentioned. They're not going to pay £80 million or whatever it is and not have this lad who they've been cover, you know, coveting for a while um, coming in and, and sitting on the bench. But that means that all those other five players need to up their game to make sure this isn't me. And that can only be healthy for a football team that you have got mm. top players that are are working hard to become even better to make sure that they are number, you know, whatever it is on the team sheet come a Saturday afternoon, a Wednesday night, a Sunday afternoon, whenever it may be. But the introduction of Jaden Sancho is going to be very exciting for everybody connected with Manchester United should the deal happen. And like I said, it can only be healthy for the competition and the quality in the squad. Mm. That's spot on. Competition's always good. That's why Tom's always trying to keep up to my standard on this podcast. But before before we get to next season, uh, we do have the Europa League. I guess I want to ask you, Ben, do you think Oli goes all out to win this one? Or do you think it's more about blooding some youth players, maybe treating it like a pre-season, given that the Premier League does start no, he, he wants to win it. He wants to win it. He realises, and especially, probably more so now, that um, there were probably about five or six games earlier, um, probably about, what, a month ago, where United were just, they were they were scoring goals at will. There would have been nobody in that, in that who's left in that Europa League that would want to face that rampant, free-flowing, fast-moving, powerful Manchester United team that were scoring goals, like I said, at will. And they were coming from all angles as well. And we we know, well, right, we don't know, but let's just assume that we forget about Wednesday night because, you know, there's no way that a, a, a depleted LASK team mm. uh, are going um, to overturn a five-goal deficit, no matter what team Ole Gunnar Solskjaer plays. <laughs> that will be the time that he will bring some youngsters in. There's no question. The lads that have played regularly since June, since the restart, have earned their their you know little mini break, if you like. They, they will have been away for four or five days, certainly away from training anyway. Um, and they've still got another week's training, most of them, before they actually do play again, which is a week tonight. Um, and with it only being one game that, for each round now, they know that they can go all out and they can really attack this Europa League, knowing that they've got a team that is, can score goals, that is fast on the counter-attack and that doesn't concede many either. And yeah, I realise that we're getting down to the business end and I'm not suggesting for one second that it's going to be easy, but Manchester United have got to be up there with one of the favourites to win this tournament with the form that they've been showing over these last two months. And I'm really, really looking forward to it because I don't think anybody is going to want to face Manchester United. It will definitely be a tournament that he wants to win and that he would love his players to win. It's great that they've managed to finish third, but Man United want to be competing at the top of the league. They want to be competing at the business end and and winning trophies, whether that's domestically or whether that's in Europe. And it'll be wonderful to cap off a great season so far for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his players to be lifting that Europa League on the 21st of August. i got to say, Ben, the way you've answered that question, it's got it's got my blood flowing. Like, I'm actually excited for the Europa League. Um, 
I want to I want to ask. This is a little bit of a fantasy question, kind of thinking. Let, let's look forward fifteen years time. If you were asked, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, one of those three players, you have to predict one of them. Which is the most likely to challenge, if not better, Wayne Rooney's goal scoring record? Oh, that's a, that is a really good question. Um, I would probably say because of the age that he is, um, I would probably say Mason. Um, when you think that uh, that both Anthony Martial and, and Marcus Rashford are now into the twenties, I think to be able to 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 come anywhere close to to that sort of a goal scoring feat, you need to have been doing like like Wayne did, um, scoring goals from when you're you're seventeen, eighteen, which is exactly what Mark, uh, what Mason Greenwood has done. And that's not to say that the other two, Anthony and Marcus, are not capable of doing that. They are, but I'm thinking more of a timescale thing. And if he's got like a, let's say, a, 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 a two-year head start on those two, then the rate of which, rate of knots in which he scores his goals, you could be talking already about 30 or 40 goals in front of, of Anthony and, and, and Marcus at that particular time. So I think that with time being on his side, I'll probably go for Mason. But don't don't rule out the other two. You know, certainly breaking the uh, breaking the hundred goal barrier if they keep performing like they are doing now. Yeah, Larry, you okay with that? With Mason Greenwood being the top scorer over Anthony Martial, Ben hasn't upset you too much. Oh, that's all right. Just a little bit of a tear in the eye, but I'll I'll shake it off. Yeah, Larry's got a <laughs> little bit of a man crush on Anthony Martial, but um, I think I have just... the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, just looked at the clock and it's almost almost my bedtime. So I think it's about time we wrap up the podcast and just maybe, maybe a few little questions have been sent through. We'll try and keep these short, but just one or two that um, we jotted down a little bit early before we started to throw to Ben. Um, maybe a two-part question, maybe answer this in two ways. Maybe when you played with in the youth team, but also what you saw, how they developed um, in their later, later on in their careers. Who was the best player you played with? So one who you physically played with at the time, who you felt was the best player. And then out of those players, who do you felt went on and progressed into the best player? Um, the best player when I when I first joined Manchester United that I that I played with on a regular basis was was Nicky Butt. Um, I played with him at, at schoolboy level. We played for our counties together. We both played for England schoolboys together. He was sensational to play with. He was terrible to play against. Um, but um, an all-round tremendous footballer. But I think the the player that came out of that group of players, um, uh, like head and shoulders above anything that I've ever seen, is Paul Scholes. Mm. He was somebody that de- that never really featured when we uh, when we won the youth cup, um, and the transformation between Paul being 16, 17 to 17, 18 was astronomical. And in that second season, he made his debut, he scored on his debut, and he just went on to be a, an absolutely sensational footballer who could do anything with a football, um, uh, scored some memorable goals, controlled games, um, and did it all with, with the utmost of humility. You never saw him in the papers, you never saw any misdemeanours or bad behaviour, you didn't really see him doing interviews either. Uh, he just got on with his job and did it to the highest of standards. So Nicky Butt when I first started and certainly Paul Scholes. Well that's not to 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 take away yeah. anything from the likes of 
obviously Ryan Giggs, who was, you know, sensational and what he did in the game and, and a player that I've, you know, even though he's only a year older than me, I, I played with and admired from a very, very early age. Gary Neville, captain, played for his country. David Beckham won the, you know, the, the league in numerous different countries. And again, a, a wonderful, wonderful technician with a football. But for me, with everything that he could do in the game, um, in one game, just sheer brilliance was was Paul Scholes. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, just two little things to finish up. We obviously touched on Solskjaer and sort of your first impressions. I don't know if your paths ever crossed, but obviously another friend of our supporters club here in Sydney and also been on the podcast. Just wondering in your youth team days, did you ever pass um, cross paths with Mark Bosnich? Was he in and around your teams? Yeah, he, um, he was there uh, when I first arrived, Mark Bosnich. Um, I don't think that we we didn't really have much dealings with him. He was um, he was a reserve team goalkeeper, and obviously okay. one of the uh, one of the goalkeepers that would step in should should Peter Schmeichel um, have not been able to play. But I don't think he was there for very long before I think he moved on to Aston Villa, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but I I didn't really have many dealings with Mark at mm. all, and uh, and I've never met him subsequently. No, no worries. And also another, God, this supporters club here in Sydney do have a lot of friends. Obviously, David May. just want to finish on this thing. Obviously, the Europa League, we've been talking about the Europa League. But earlier this year, this three-day train trip you had to Kazakhstan with David May. Just wondering, whose idea was that in terms of, were you all for it leading up to that? And why didn't you get just get a plane? Um, well, I think that the... You know, they fancied doing something a little bit different at MUTV and it was the, the brainchild of... Uh, of I don't know if it was Ian Nolan who was the head of programming, Mike Gray. Uh, there was a few people there that um, that obviously got their heads together and and decided that it would be um, it would be something of a you know a bit of an adventure. Um, and we we'd sort of you know film it and document it along the way. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare to get off the ground because I don't know if anybody's ever tried, but getting a visa for Russia. Mm. is not the easiest thing in the world by any stretch. Uh, but it was, you know, it was real good fun. Moscow was a fabulous city. Um, the train journey sort of left a lot to be desired. We, you know, it wasn't uh, anything, <laughs> anything of any luxury. Um, nobody on there spoke any English. We had police getting on, you know, every couple of hours wanting to check our passports that, that weren't the friendliest. Um, the train had stopped. We'd get off in freezing cold temperatures. There wasn't wonderful food available on board. You couldn't drink on board. Uh, but we listen. We made the most of it, and we had a we absolutely had an absolutely cracking time. And and um, I don't think there's anybody that if you're going to get cooped up with somebody and you you needed somebody to keep you you know keep you pepped up and and keep you motivated for a, a, a fifty odd hour train journey through complete barren wilderness in in Russia and, and into Kazakhstan, then David May is the is the one person that you'd want with you. He's just such good fun. Uh, one of my very good friends as well, who do, who's on the MUTV group chat that I was on prior to this. Um, and yeah, just a, a great lad. But uh, we had Sam Holmwood, a presenter on MUTV, and Jamie Shepherd, one of the producers who was with us as well, documenting everything. And, um, and I did my first bungee jump as well. The others followed suit, fair play to them. Um, it was just, it was just a, a really, really memorable occasion, and uh, that's not to say that when we got to our five-star hotel in uh, in Kazakhstan, I, I wasn't relieved. 
Well, if they now go back in the Champions League, maybe you can look forward to maybe a nice trip to Madrid or a trip to Barcelona or something now that we're back at the I think that of Europe. Would, that would be much more pleasurable without any question. And I think that is a good way to wrap up the podcast. First of all, Ben, an absolute honour and a pleasure to have you on. We really appreciate you taking your time and having, I'm just on the clock now, best part of an hour chat. Truly appreciate it. I just want to say on behalf of the Supporters Club here, um, in Sydney, uh, Man United, New South Wales. A few years ago, you sent out a few books um, of tackled, um, a few signed copies for our committee. And um, just something, just in terms of the work you do on MUTV, the, co- the football coverage we get here in Australia, to be honest, is not great. But a lot of us do have our subscription to MUTV and we truly appreciate all the work you do because when we get home, it's pretty much straight on MUTV, nothing else. So really appreciate all the work you do there. And I urge anyone to go and get that book tackled because we all do love stories of Paul Scholes, David Beckham, Ryan Giggs. We, we love all those stories. At the end of the day, they're all kind of very similar. I think this is an important story which tells the other side of the tale, which quite often does end in, um, I wouldn't say in a negative way, but it just it's, it's a t- completely different story. And I think one that's well worth a listen because so many people can relate to it, uh, I believe, whether, whether through injury or through bad luck or through decisions. I think a lot of people will be um, able to relate to it. I definitely did myself. So, Larry, anything else you want to add? No, that's it. Um, an absolute pleasure. I thought that was a cracking chat and a good listen for anyone who's a football fan, really. No, no, You're very pleasure. kind, guys. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure to be on. No, pleasure. So Cheers, we'll, we'll tag Ben in all our socials. So go give him a follow. We'll uh, leave a link for the book as well and follow us on social medias, all the United Pubcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Um, please um, follow on whatever podcast app you listen to, Spotify, SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search United Pubcast and it'll just give you a notification every time we load a new episode. Now, the next episode, I assume we'll be reviewing the last game, but I assume we'll probably be more so regarding the latest developments with Jaden Sancho. But um, me and Larry will have you covered with that later on in the week. So until then, hope everyone has a good week and we will chat to you then. And thank you again, Ben. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. You take care. All the best. Cheers. Beautiful. Cheers.